Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the debate focuses on post-New Year's allegations of blackface against the mummers that turn out to be false. This is just a black guy having a Jay-Z shirt on, walking the mayor on a leash. But it didn't stop the outrage. I do think an apology is due because a lot of black and brown people are offended. Was the skit out of bounds or was it simply weighed down by a racist past? If anyone contacts Jay-Z, he would laugh. Don't forget, we're comics. We dig into how to move forward and clean up this mess. He's closing a grocery store in a food desert and he says the soda tax is to blame. I have a great fear that we're going to implode the grocery business. Brown Superstore CEO responds to the mayor's criticism, hoping to rally support for repeal. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the uproar over the Philadelphia Mummers. It happens almost every year without fail. And this year, the Finnegan New Year's Brigade performed a skit featuring a gold chain wearing Jay-Z walking a fake Mayor Jim Kenney on all fours. Now, the controversy started when Philadelphia City Councilman Daryl Clark accused the Mummers of using blackface. But those allegations were false. As it turned out, it was a black mummer who was playing Jay-Z and the city had pre-approved the skit. Here's Mayor Jim Kenney. That's a free shot at me. It's fine. As long as we're not picking on other people. But Clark, the Pennsylvania Legislative Black Caucus and others doubled down saying it was still offensive. This was done in the tradition of a white supremacist art. Protesters rallied at City Hall last week. Philadelphia has no space, no time for things like the Mummers and for blackface. Recently, black politicos met with the leader of the Mummers with the hopes of moving forward. This is a mess, so how do we clean this up? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Mikkel Harrison. He is state director of Pennsylvania Indivisible. He organized a rally to protest the Mummers' recent performance. We also have Professor Charles Gallagher of LaSalle University. He is a nationally recognized expert on race and ethnicity. And finally, on the phone, we have Michael Enemer. He is captain of the Finnegan New Year's Brigade that performed the Jay-Z skit. He's been a mummer for three decades. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Mike, I want to start with you. Could you lay out for us Finnegan's intention for that Jay-Z skit? Okay. First of all, we wait till the current news comes out. Like, right after Labor Day, we picked the skit of Humpty Trumpy doing a spoof on a president with the wall, and we were using the manioc wall. The next day in the paper, was the, the, it's about Labor Day parade. Right before that was controversy with Mayor Kenny canceling the parade on the parkway on Jay-Z. And then overnight... Jay-Z got his way, and the parade was back on the parkway. So there was a cartoon in the Daily News depicting Mayor Kenny as a dog on a chain leash as Jay-Z walking him. So I said, you know what? And Trump always says Made in America and all that, so we changed the title to Humpty Trumpy, Made in America, and put a spoof in there with Jay-Z walking out Mayor Kenny as a dog. Just, Just exactly the way it was in the Daily News. Did you think that people would be, and you, you sent this to the 
the city of Philadelphia, you let them know in advance. That is correct. We have to submit all themes and, and exactly like what we are doing with our skit. And what did the city tell you? City that the city approved it because the cartoon was in the Daily News. They said, obviously, with the rules, we can't use blackface. He goes, you, if you want to do Jay Z, you have to use a black American for that part of the skit. We abided by the rules, submitted everything in, and once again, this really has nothing to do with Jay Z. If anyone looks at our history, the past three years since Mayor Kenny's been elected, we've been spoofing him, which is allowed to get on political and public figures. That's all we were doing. We were busting on the mayor. Nothing to do with Jay Z. It just happened to be. That was a perfect, perfect thing to get Kenny on. And so, Mikkel, you heard the intention, but I want you to separate it and take us back to when you saw this skit and what you thought about it. You know, when I originally saw the skit, I actually knew that the actor was African-American. But looking at it as a through the lens as a queer black man, you know, you, you see that. Would you have the same depiction if Bruce Springsteen were to have Made in America and Philadelphia, or very, very different things. What happened to Mayor Kenny canceled the Mama's Parade. What we still depicted as a white man kneeling to a black man because, you know, he got his way. That was, that, that was kind of offensive. And also the fact that a black man was recruited to do it goes to show you that there's a, that there's a larger issue here. Like, we're, we're at a point right now where we have to even submit skits to the city <laughs> to see if, if it's going to be, you know, uh, traumatizing or triggering to, to the black community. Yeah. When, when I saw that, I was deeply concerned. Now, there have been claims of blackface, and you personally did not... Uh, make those claims, but there were city leaders who submitted statements saying, accusing them of blackface when it wasn't true. Did that sort of poke a big hole in the offensiveness argument when people were accusing them of something that just wasn't true? You know, so blackface can take a lot of different forms. Blackface is just using a black figure, face, what have you, to aid and sell a point of white supremacy. So if you have a black man that's used to make poke, poke fun at, at someone in the black community. A lot of people still categorize that in the same category as, as, as blackface. Just because he didn't put makeup on his face, it's so much more than that. You know, we're in 2019. When the mummers were, were uh, first started, you know, a few decades ago, they recruited young black kids to play monkeys in the, in the brigades. Charles, when you yeah. hear this, when you hear the yeah. two views of this, how do you bridge that? Yeah, so I should say also I'm fourth generation Philadelphian. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad's from MBS, from West Philly. My mom's from... 11th Christian. I grew up in Overbrook Park in 19th District. So I consider myself someone that grew up on the Mummers. I'm in my 50s. Um, I think that the skit that Mike was talking about was clear political sarcasm. I think it was done in any conceivable way. I think it was done to mock powerful people. I think Jay-Z is a powerful person. I think that the mayor is. I think it was really about the mayor's indecision um, about what to do in the parkway. So I think it was fair game. And I thought it was I wasn't bothered by it until I was told it was blackface. And I saw one picture where it, it, it in fact looked like blackface. Then I saw a, a very well done picture from the Inquirer and it said, this is just a black guy having a Jay-Z shirt on, walking the mayor on a leash and he's mocking the mayor's decision, you know, mm-hmm. that he's his lapdog. I thought that was fine. I thought absolutely this and, was. And just so everybody's clear, Charles is white. Yeah, I'm a white guy. So, so that skit, once I found out that the guy wasn't blackface, is just unacceptable. It, it belongs nowhere. Under no context does blackface work. Once I knew there wasn't blackface, I said, this is fine. This is pure political sarcasm. This is basically um, you know, a smart way to make fun of the powerful people. Here is the problem. When I heard blackface, I said, oh, boy, 
here we go again. If you're a Philadelphian like I am, you understand the history of the mummers. I'm not saying all mummers are racist, but it's impossible not to look historically at some of the floats, not all the floats, some of the floats that the mummers have put on have been thoroughly offensive and racist to brown people, to black people, to red people. And so that's the problem. Um, The problem is that you have to understand things in historical context. Imagine you're in the elevator and somebody said, did you hear about that black skit about the mummers? People would say, oh boy, there they go again. Now that might not be true now, but if someone has been watching the mummers since the 70s, I can tell you some of those skits were just brutal. So the problem is that we have the history of the mummers. Now they might have cleaned up their act, but sadly there is a history there. And again, I'm not saying all mummers, I'm not saying all white people are racist either, but there is a history. On top of that, we're in a climate now where we've seen Hate crimes rise year after year, three years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, we cook it with Dylan Roof walking to a church and assassinating nine black people. Black men being shot in the back by cops. Jewish have, people too. But yeah. Jewish people, anyone considered non-white yeah. or on the margins. We have a president basically that is a racist. I mean there's no other way to say it. So we have a climate now where we have a political leader who is allowing white folks that are racist to basically – to be encouraged to basically speak their mind in ugly ways. That's the world we live in. So when someone hears, oh my god, blackface mummers – in this climate, they're going to think, well, given the mummer's history, yeah. you know, it makes sense. So so it's sad that this is playing out this way because I – quite honestly, I thought – I saw that cartoon a while ago and I thought that skit that the mummers did was quite funny and tasteful about basically mocking one's betters. I mean when I thought – when I heard blackface, I was like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Mike, I mean as someone – you guys have done some stuff. You got to admit, I mean Finnegan, known to – Cause a uproar a couple years ago. Y'all did a Caitlyn Jenner. How do you escape that history? We try escaping by doing the right thing. And then, first of all, let me give it Charles. I'm from MBS. MBS huh, is the best place of 77 West Catholic. And, and as far as Macau, I'm from 53rd and Chester. Born and, born and bred and raised there. I, I was the only white kid on my street. So I know a lot of history. So there's no intention here. Trust me. Like, if it was Bruce Springsteen, as you said... He would have let us out and walk in Mayor Kenny. You know, we try to we try to abide by the rules. We went by the city told us what to do, and that's what we did. I mean, I, I really just don't understand this whole thing. I, I, I bet if anyone contacts Jay Z, he would laugh. Don't forget, we're comics. That's what we do. We're, we try to do it, and we do it right. So, what more could they have done? I mean, this cause, could they ever play uh, have a black character in a skit? And now, I mean, and, 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 and they have black members, two black members, right, Mike? Yes. Of, of the one, one of which has been a member for like 15 years since he was a young child. So they have two, at least two people that are black Americans. What could they have done to sort of make this less, you know, racially offensive? There's no secret of the climate that we're in right now in, in regarding to, uh, to, to the African-American community, um, to, to black and brown people. There is no secret of, of problematic history in the past of the mummers just a few years ago we had blatant blackface in the parade and so i think that i'm not going to tell you like to, to i'm not going to tell you how to run your club yeah the mummers are as philly as a cheesesteak you know <laughs> it's just what they do if you have a problematic past um there there are some things that that you can't see that a, a lot of african americans can see so i don't know if it's just bringing you know those black members into the planning process but that's also kind of tokenizing them to, you know, to make sure they don't do anything problematic. So I, I can't I can't really tell you, yeah. to, to be honest, how to, well, how to tell I, an, an all-white club. I, you know, to, I think actually to, to, to both McHale's point and to Mike's point is that I think this is, in fact, was a way to move forward. 
like I tell you, I was actually quite upset when I said, oh my God, you're kidding me, blackface again? And then once it wasn't blackface, I said, okay, here they're putting someone, Jay-Z, and basically he's, he's running the show. A black man is walking a white mayor around. They're inverting power. And what they're doing, I think, is basically privileging, you know, if you believe in black celebrities that are powerful and they're celebrities who are, and they have something to say, it's Jay-Z. Jay-Z is the one that basically is walking a white mayor. So I think in some ways it's an inversion of power. That could, that could have never have happened 30 years ago. Imagine. That probably wouldn't have been okay? a It's impossible. Yeah. To, so I think in some ways what they're saying is that, you know, let's call it like it is, right? Jay-Z basically has made the mayor his lapdog, and we're going to show it that way. We're going to show a powerful black man that was able to manipulate a powerful white man. So, I mean – I think it's great political sarcasm, and I think that's what the, I think the mummers do quite well. But you know, again, the, the problem is that there the is history. a long, long history. You know, as a boy, I watched this stuff. You mm-hmm. know, so this skit was an attempt to 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 to, to move forward. One of the things that Anthony Williams said yesterday, because the black politicians met with two of the um, leaders from the mummers, and one of the things he said is like, sometimes you just apologize, even though you don't know why you're apologizing. Do you did you think, Mike, <laughs> that maybe you should have just apologized here, even though you did everything you thought you should have done? Just given the history, like, look, man, I'm sorry you offended. Just to end the thing, um, you know what? I'm sorry that people are offended, but I I, I don't think that I'm, an apology is due at all. I think if anything, like we're Finnegan, we're from Southwest Philly, we're thick blood. I don't think our club is doing apology, but I do think Daryl Young is doing apology public by Councilman Clark, because if Councilman Clark didn't speak up that morning without checking facts, I would doubt this be it. This would be an issue at all. Do you think if Councilman Clark and others hadn't said, oh my God, that's blackface, do you think this would have been an issue? Every year, I'll just say every year on January 2nd or 3rd, there is some sort of backlash from the Mummers Parade. To Mike's point about the political sarcasm, about this just being political sarcasm, every year since inception, it's been political sarcasm. So we really have to have that conversation, whether it's them mocking the transgender community. That was political sarcasm, I'm assuming. There has to be a point where we say, look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, are we are we offending people? And so I, I do think an, an apology is is due because a lot of black and brown people are offended every every single year. <laughs> there's someone there's there's a marginalized community that that's offended. And so yeah, but that wasn't the case here. And actually, when I say political, political sarcasm, being homophobic, being racist is not political sarcasm. Political sarcasm is to make fun of powerful people and to do it in a way where you don't have to basically go so low is to engage in racism or homophobia. They didn't engage in racism or homophobia. That's not to say that hasn't happened before. It's hard for me to imagine I'm defending the mummers because of other history. But here's a situation where a political person said something without having evidence. I hold my political leaders, of course, not the president, to a standard that they use evidence. So you don't go off, fly off the the handle and say something without knowing it's true if it's going to cause a problem. He spoke out of turn without knowing the evidence. Daryl Clark owes people an apology. Yeah, I asked his office. You're a politician. Before you open your mouth, you better have the facts straight. And he didn't. So what he said in motion was, and I think any reasonable person that knows Philadelphia say, oh, my God, the mummers, here they go again. The mummers didn't do anything this year. So what he did, he opened up a can of worms about the history of the mummers and history of race relations and where we are with race today. And I do, I mean, I wonder, do you think that, I mean, Mikkel, you were already, you just thought it was offensive. Do you think some people ran with that blackface? And and then even once it was, they found out it wasn't blackface, were just still offended because 
It's just the mummers. Yes. And I also think that uh, to, to the point of uh, the clubs being diversified, I, I think that that's what was talked about uh, last night, about we, how we want to see a more diverse mummers. We're always going to run into that, that issue. And also, to Derek, that goes back to the definition of blackface and how different people interpret the definition of blackface. So, Mike, when you hear this, even using a black American member of your squad in a role that happens to deal with an African-American leader, that that's still blackface. What do you think about that? I mean, now, they're talking about being more diversified, and that's, and you know, we're trying to do that as, as we demonstrate it. Can we go to the Halloween store and get masks and do it that way? I would think that would be, you know, I don't know whether that's allowed or not, to tell you the truth. I never even asked. I don't think... We did a skit on Obama. Like, how do we do that without without using a black American or going to the Halloween store and buying masks. I think the worst thing to do... I'm sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. That's right. And after that, I'd like to present a skit for next year, and you guys give me an an idea what I should do. I think this skit was completely fair game. It was classic political sarcasm. The the real problem would be to make blacks invisible, right? Forty-something percent of the population in Philadelphia is black. I would want to see black people respectfully treated in the mummers. So this guy who – I don't even know who this man was. He was having fun. He's an actor. He's, he's doing a comic Darryl skit. Daryl Young, yeah. yeah. And so he's doing his work. He's pretending he's Jay-Z. Of course you need a black man to do that. To say that we can't do this skit because any representation of blacks in the mummers will be perceived as blackface is absurd. It also more, it makes blacks invisible. It's the worst thing. They can't participate in a, in, in a cultural uh, pageantry like this. I mean I, I find that more problematic. We've had black mayors. And um, have you guys made fun of, of, of Mayor Nutter in the past? We have made fun of Mayor Good in the past, yes. And how were you able to do that? At that time, we just used a white guy. Like I said, a lot of people didn't know what we were doing, you know, because he doesn't look like Mayor Good. You know, you, you want to do a skit, you got to try to make it look real as possible. And so you moved away when Mayor Nutter and Mayor Street were mayors. You just didn't make fun of them. Right. We should just try to avoid that situation. You know, it's just because of this reason. And then now we step forward to try to do the right thing. And now it seems to be the wrong thing. So in your response to that, Mikel, I would just say, you know, first, I would love to see, you know, I, I, I'm here as two black members in the club. I would love to see, you know, how many other members are, are in the club. I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to pick and choose and go tit for tat, you know, for, for the amount of white people and black people in the club and, and what have you. But I would say to the point of, of the mayors, this was seen in, in even even the skit, I, I would say was was racist. You have a, a white mayor, and Jay Z. Let, let's just say that the things that Jay Z does for does for Philly. He, he, he Jay Z loves Philly. He had his had his made America best here for for a while now. And I I too lived on a Parkway just last year. Yeah, you know this is a an awesome thing for the city, and you also have to you really have to think about your target audience and and who's there at, at the moment's parade. What is the actual message behind that? And the message was that the mayor caved, that he, he just broke down. But or, he did. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, pretty accurate description of what happened. For, for sure. But, but you're saying, like, to have him walking on, on a leash. And, of course, there are even things that, that I, I'm saying as, as a black man where, where you just know. There are just yeah. things where we just know. And, there's, and, and, there's, there, and that's one of and, the things that the politicians said. They said, look, sometimes you just can't explain it. You can't see it. Even people among African-Americans, people disagreed and argued and said some people thought it was offensive. Some people didn't think it was offensive. I mean, how do you move forward? Because at the end of the day, I don't see necessarily the mummers ending because some people have said, look, we need total divestment of the mummers that no city services, no money should be felt dealing with this issue uh, and the mummers should be gone. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. So how do we move forward where we can be more inclusive and that the people who are, are of color, they can become members without being viewed as tokens? Because, I mean, probably people are reluctant to join for that very reason. 
Yeah, I, you know, I would just say do more. I would say show up. I know the other, uh, I'm sorry for the families, but there were two mummers lost, I believe, in an in accident. Yes. What yes. have you. We saw the entire mummers community come around them, and, and that was that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have friends and family that, that are mummers. You know, show up in, in, in places. If you, if you really are trying to bridge that divide, if you really want to get away from the tr- tradition of being problematic or being racist or being transphobic, homophobic, what have you, Show up in other spaces, and, and that's, all, that's all I have to say. Yeah, Show up, whether, whether it's a form of service or what have you. And, and to that point, I think one of the ways you do it is to make sure that the floats that you run in the, in the mummers, that they are not – they don't draw on stereotypes, the worst kind of tropes of homophobia. That, and I, quite honestly, I don't believe this skit did that. Certainly, we can point to many examples historically yeah. where the mummers just really just were – it was crass. It was offensive. Uh, you're insulting fellow Philadelphians. I don't think this was the case. And I think that's what you do. You, I think that this was in fact um, uh, tastefully done in, in a kind of – as, as political sarcasm goes. I think what happens is that just because someone's black in the parade doesn't mean that someone's engaging in race. I mean if someone walks into my classroom and I say, OK, someone walks in, African-American male about 18 or Asian female, observing race isn't racist. To say that that black kid can play basketball or that young Asian female is good in math, I've now jumped the line because yeah. I've assigned attributes to people based on – right. So, so as long as you get away from the stereotypes, be inclusive. Yeah. And so, Mike, I mean, you hearing all this feedback, I mean, how how are folks faring within your group? I mean, you guys did submit it to the city. So in their minds, by doing these things, regardless of whether or not you were offended, in their minds of the the club, they did – they did a they they really tried. Can we admit that folks tried not to be offensive and and exactly they tried. I don't think we we're offensive at all. And they some people are gonna be offended. I mean that's what comedy. I mean some people are gonna be mad no matter what. But they can we they at least tried or thought that going through these process. So uh, Mike, I mean at the end of the day, you guys have to accept the history that exists here. So how do you move forward? Because people of color have not forgotten, you know, vulnerable people have not forgotten things that have done in years previously. So what what do you think you can do so that folks don't automatically assume that anytime you include a racial element, even if it's not a, the, the focus of the skit, that the offensive outrage and the backlash doesn't happen? Do you do you have any ideas about that? But I, I put out a newsletter to uh, all our members, and, and uh, it goes out to a lot of other people too, and to uh, mention what skip we're doing. If anyone's offended, they can you know they can get a hold of me. Everyone approved and had fun. You know, we try to do the right thing. That's all. And you've been a member for thirty years. Have you seen the club change? Because I mean, you've been there when they were doing kind of really offensive stuff. Have you seen yeah, changes? Yes, uh, yeah, a lot of things are wrong, but you know what? That's that's what's called history, and you try to straighten that out. We've done. Plenty of skits on the Ayatollah Khomeini, the presidents, uh, all kinds of political, something that whatever's in the news. Saturday Night Live does it every week. Do you feel like the Mummers can sort of move out of the shadow of its own history at some point? I know we have. And so you're just waiting for what? Everybody else to catch up? Yeah, I mean, we're, we seem to be in the forefront. And, uh, you know, and, and like the day after the mayor's office, even if, like I said, if you check history, we've been bashing him the last three years. Nothing, you know, making fun. You know, this year he finally stepped up and said, well, his office did put out a statement day after the parade. Finnegan absolutely did nothing wrong. They abided by the rules. And, and you know, maybe we may be pushing the rules, but we're not breaking them. And so my last question before our final thought, how do we preserve the First Amendment rights of, of folks to make fun of those in power, but 
you know, and preserve that part of the mummers while expelling the part that included racism and homophobia and sexism and all that kind of stuff. Is there a way to do that? Just just through education and all. Every, every, everyone's aware of, of what's going on these time, these days. We just we do our best and to educate everybody and you know to do the right thing. As as far as First Amendment rights, you know, you know, we we've had a black journalist here in in the city who was interviewed for terroristic by 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 the Philadelphia Terrorism Unit or the Philly Police Counterterrorism Unit. Um, just for for him viewing his opinions. I myself was I couldn't even uh you know I had a had a rally scheduled for Friday. I couldn't even do that because I was blocked. I was banned from Facebook for just speaking truth to power about about the mummers. Um, and I couldn't even. Do that because I was flagged for for racism and I mean and homophobia. This, this happens a lot of time. Really? Yes, this this happens a lot of time. And excuse me, not homophobia, but, but racism it happens a lot of time to, to to black activists in the city. Um, and when we talk about First Amendment rights, it, it's it's different. It truly is different for for everyone. Yeah, and I, and I have to point out that you can say whatever you want, but you do have to take the whatever comes from whatever you decide to say. Because this is Flashpoint, we have to wrap this up. So obviously, the mummers want to keep going. And how do we as a city move past the racist history of this organization and find a more inclusive way to make this tradition more accessible to all? Or can we do that? The old line is that, you know, in, in comedy, are you, are you punching up or are you punching down? And what's fair game is when you punch up, when you, when you pick on Jay-Z and you pick on the mayor. That's fair game. When you punch down at groups that historically have been marginalized, it's wrong. And I think that, again, we know that the Mummers has, again, not all the Mummers, but certain other floats have been very offensive. It sounds like they're making a good faith effort to move forward with that. And I think now we're in a climate where yeah. people feel that they're emboldened. Um, you know, D- Donald Trump didn't create racism, but he allowed racists to basically to, to express themselves in a way where there's there's no consequences for it. So I think the Mummers, which is an institution, has to think, well, you know, we want to, we want people to laugh, but how also do we move these ideas forward. Yeah. And so, Mike? We as a club have have done that and we will continue to do so. Final word? Um, I would just say that we keep having these conversations. Um, you know, the, the the main thing about this and the main thing, the reason why I scheduled the, the, the rally um, and, and press conference outside of uh, City Hall last week was to have this conversation. We had to take out, uh, moments like this and have these conversations because we, we haven't had them before. And this is the first time that, I, that I've, I've seen so many people have, have talked about this. And so I, I do thank both of you for hopping on and having this conversation. Um, but we do need to continue to have these conversations in order to, yeah. to, to see things like this moving forward. Yeah. And would you join? Would you ever consider? I, I'll just, I guess I'll leave this last word. I'm actually an upright bass player. I tried to join the Mummers when I was in high school. My friends were Mummers. Went to a predominantly white high school. And I was told I couldn't. They said to me, I don't know if it was a joking manner or what have you, but you can't join the members. You're black. Um, and Miguel, I got a part for you next year. That's there you go. There you go. Mike Scott. <laughs> you getting recruited. It's, 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 it's little, it's little, I'll just say it is a little cold for me, too. So. Jerry, if you, if you can forward his email to me, and I'll present our skit to him next year, and I'll, I got an idea. And, and he can give me some ideas on how to win. You, you're getting recruited, Mikel. So I want to say thank you so much to uh, Mike Enemer. Thank you so much to Charles Gallagher. And thank you so much to Mikel Harrison for appearing on Flashpoint and discussing this issue in the news. Me too. Thanks, guys. Next up, he blames the soda tax for the closure of one of his grocery stores. If you can go a couple blocks on the other side to the suburbs and pay what you used to. Brown ShopRite CEO responds to pushback from the mayor and comes with receipts on why he wants the soda tax gone. We'll be right back. 
It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. And one thing that gets Philadelphia residents hot under the collar is expensive groceries and food deserts. Recently, Brown Superstores announced it would be closing its shop right in Overbrook. But why? According to the owner, the soda tax, a tax implemented by the Kinney administration to pay for pre-K libraries, parks and recs, and more. He says that is the culprit. So, of course... Mayor Jim Kenney had a snapback. Jeff Brown is a crybaby, basically. He lives in a double-wide mansion on Rittenhouse Square. He opened up a store three miles away from the store he's closing, and he wonders whether that has an effect on his store or not. And if you can't run a supermarket without soda sales, then something's wrong with your business practices. Giant has decided to move into the city of Philadelphia. They're opening, I think, 10 or 12 stores over the next couple of years. Uh, there's about 400 job openings uh, at ShopRite that are advertised on their website. Uh, he has admitted himself he has not laid anybody off. Um, he just needs to grow up. So is the soda tax to blame, or is it just plain competition? With me in the studio to dig into this Flashpoint topic is Jeff Brown, president and CEO of Brown Superstores. Jeff, welcome to Flashpoint. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. The issue about the soda tax has been a point of contention ever since it was implemented. So explain why you say the soda tax is to blame. After the soda tax was implemented, almost immediately, we saw a very large drop in our sales um, in all our Philadelphia stores. And when we asked customers about it, they said, we love you. We love what you do for us, but I just can't afford to pay that. And to be honest with you, I'm busy. And so if I'm going to go to Upper Darby or I'm going to go to Balakimwood to get my soda, well, I'm going to get all my groceries there. I'm going to make an extra stop. And uh, how close to my store is, because I have a bunch of stores in the city, how close it is to the border really has affected the sales. The stores that are very close to the border. In the border of the city. The city border line. of the yeah. city. Yeah, I really heard it. Where is the Overbrook location? It's at 67th and Haverford, and it's maybe three, four blocks from Delaware County, and it's also not far from Montgomery County. And so your argument is that what? You talk to customers and they say... Well, I started out by talking to customers, but you know, um, we have supermarkets in the city and supermarkets outside the city, and our sales volume of stores right out outside the city in some cases are up 50% or more, and our stores in the city are down. And so what this uh, tax has done, it's made op- operating a grocery store in the city almost almost impossible. People have said, I mean, the mayor says, look, you know, Jeff Brown, he's doing great. The stores are doing great. You guys are hiring lots of folks in all of your locations. Why are you blaming the soda tax for this? So, Could it just uh, be something else? Uh, no. Matter of fact, at 67th and Haverford, if you live in that neighborhood, you would know that it's going to be a food desert. Uh, and it's sad when that store closes. It's not like that's a neighborhood that has lots of choices and competition. Mm-hmm. It's going to make it a food setters de- desert. So truth of the matter is I don't have any competitive issues in that neighborhood. I got an issue that a good part of my customer base not willing to shop in the city anymore. I have uh, stores like, for example, my store in Cheltenham and I have a store in Wincote right outside the city and their volumes are way, way up. And uh, the amount of beverages we sell 
in those stores is incredible. Like people are coming from all over because it's not far outside the city. And so we've created a situation where we're transferring our jobs and transferring our opportunity to the suburbs. And they don't need it. We're the ones who need the opportunity. Give me an example, because I don't drink soda. Just generally allergic to some of the chemicals in there. Tell me specifically, if you were to say, okay, this is the difference in price between what the soda used to cost and what it costs now. It's a really good question. First, let me start out by saying people call it a soda tax, but it's a tax on 4,000 items I sell. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you realize, but it's a tax on almond milk. It's a tax on iced tea. It's a tax on Trop 50. I mean, it's a tax on diet sodas. It's a tra- t- uh, tax on uh, juices that aren't 100% juice. And so if you take a two-liter bottle, mm-hmm. let's say I would put it on sale for $0.99, cents, the tax is a dollar one, And so my dollar item becomes $2, and then they charge sales tax on it. It's tax on tax. If I can give you another example, Arizona iced tea, very popular item is a gallon of Arizona iced tea. I might put that on sale for $1.99. The tax is like two fifty, and so the two dollar item with sales tax becomes like a six dollar item, and when people see that, they're like, "It can't be." Yeah. But one and a half cents an ounce when you have a lot of ounces adds up to a lot of money, and you know, uh, unlike a lot of supermarket chains, uh, my life's work is serving less affluent people, impoverished people, pe- uh, people of of color. That's been my life's work, uh, helping them. And they don't have extra money. Yeah. They sometimes go hungry. And what's happened is since this tax has been implemented, implemented, they are paying for tax instead of food for their family. I have a hard time with that. I think it's cruel. This is what the argument has been. They said, look, this is not a tax on customers. This is a tax on distributors. Why are you guys complaining? And what's your response to that? So uh, this tax has been implemented um, in Mexico and it's been implemented in different parts of the country. And there have been numerous studies that every single time, everyone passes on all of the tax. And the question is, why do they do that? Because the grocery industry works on an extraordinarily small margin. So on a a bottle of Pepsi that I sell for 99 cents, I may make one cent on that. The tax is a dollar one. So I could give you my one cent, but where's the other dollar coming from? The, The tax is more than the value of the product. How could anyone subsidize that? Your sales went down. So even if everybody still came to the store and they didn't go outside the city to buy, you would stu- still have lost, have a, um, some t- a profit loss there. No. Well, uh, here's the interesting thing. If the customers had lots of money and they didn't care and they were willing to pay, they didn't leave, I'd be fine because the tax, I don't pay the tax. My customers pay the tax because the distributor charges me. And I charge the customer. So the customer is the one who really is really paying. And if the customers didn't have a problem with paying twice as much, then I'd be fine. But who wants to pay twice as much? If you can go a couple blocks on the other side to the suburbs and pay what you used to, who, who wants to pay double? And the people that get stuck paying are the most vulnerable, poorest people that don't have transportation. And in my view, I don't know, maybe other people look at it differently. It's disturbing to see the poorest, most vulnerable people like look through their grocery order and they can't pay. And they pick out, I'm putting my carrots back, I'm putting lettuce back, I'm putting one of my chickens back. Yeah, I'm going to put my iced tea back. And they just can't pay. And if you look at um, reports that came out, 
Food insecurity has increased in the last two years during the period of the beverage tax, 22%. So that's all the proof you need. People paying taxes, the poorest people, instead of paying for their food. And so now the store is going to close. The Overbrook location is going to close in March. And so what's the impact? That will be a uh, registered food desert, which will mean that one mile around that location, there is no other food store. And so the people in that neighborhood will not have access to fresh and affordable food. I'm bothered by it. Here, here are my choices. That store loses a lot of money today. Yeah. And it's not my only losing store. It is affecting my entire business. Like I have thousands of employees, hundreds of thousands of customers, especially underprivileged customers count on me. And I'm in fear of it endangering my entire business. And so I'm left with the choice, potentially go out of business completely or really let down really good people in the overbook section that don't deserve this happening to them. And they're two lousy choices. And that's why it took me two years to make the decision. I've been absorbing, you know, multi-million dollars of losses. And honestly, if I wasn't forced to do this, I wouldn't do it because I feel horrible about it. I think it's just so wrong to do this to the people in Overbrook. Yeah. And so when you say multi-million dollar losses, so this particular store, it just became a, a, a hole. Yes, it has become an incredible hole. And honestly, the, the way the mayor has talked about it, it seems hopeless to me. We haven't been able to reason with him or his team we haven't been, they haven't seriously considered anything we told them. And uh, we feel like the situation is hopeless. And so therefore we have to shore up the company and, and not allow a bigger crisis to occur. Your reaction to what the mayor had to say? All along, I've tried to have a policy discussion about um, the horrible unintended consequences of this policy. And every time I try to have that discussion, and, and I think a fairly professional way, he attacks me as a person. And I don't recall any citizen in any place in the country where the mayor attacks his taxpaying citizens that actually have dedicated my whole life to helping underprivileged people. So um, in a sense, it's surprising. In a sense, it's not because that's this mayor. Things that he said about me don't matter. What matter is the people that are suffering under his policy, which he will not discuss. He's absolutely locked in and all he does is bully me and try to get me to stop explaining what I see as I see my underprivileged customers really suffering. And so as far as I'm concerned, I'm working for my customers and I'm prepared to take whatever bullying he gives and I won't stop talking about it and I won't stop fighting. And the people can judge what they think is right. Yeah. And so what are your next steps? Because I know that the store is going to be closing. You have over 100 employees uh, many of them have criminal pasts, and you've been giving a give, I've been there at the graduations where you've hired scores of people, uh, giving them second chances. What's going to happen to all these folks? So, uh, you know, I'm faced with um, a lot of dilemmas, and uh, I, I really deeply care about my people, and I care about taking people that society wrote off and, and making them into helping them or giving them an opportunity to show what they could do. And I take great pride in, in over 600 successes of people that were written off by society. They were incarcerated, and we've taught them the grocery business. And a lot of them have become management or technical skills at good-paying jobs. And uh, I fe feel a great need to protect them. And so our current plan is we're going to take the 111 people um, that work in that store, and we're going to transfer them to all our surrounding stores, including stores not in the city as a way to protect them. And what we're hoping is that there's a normal amount of uh, turnover that occurs because 
Um, people go back to school. They, they move out of the area. Um, they retire. And we're hoping over some months uh, uh, that, that, that we'll uh, move to an appropriate level of employees. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it will cost some money, but I, I feel I need to shield them from, from what's happening, and that's what we plan to do. Um, we also are very, very concerned about our customers, especially we have a lot of senior citizens in that store, and we have a, a, a very lo- a very significant number of people that are vulnerable, low income, and, and have a lot of challenges. And what we offered to do uh, with Lyft, the ride-sharing services, we, we offered to pay um, to transport the people from their house, you know, if they live near my Haverford store, to my next closest store at the ShopRite of Parkside uh, for the year of 2019. We're setting up people to train people on how to use Lyft, how to use our special code so they can get a free transportation. And and we're hoping that they take advantage of that and don't buy their food at a gas station because that's going to be like the only choice available to them is like gas stations or drugstores. Or um, one of the other things the mayor said is he doesn't understand uh, the grocery business is doing great. He said there's a Wawa that opened up. But, you know, that is the problem I'm solving. Because if you don't have a full-service grocery store with all kinds of fresh food offerings like produce and fish and poultry, then you end up shopping in a convenience store or a bodega or a gas station or a dollar store. And look, they're good to have, but if that's all you have, it's going to make you sick if all you eat is processed food. So when you listen to the mayor, he really doesn't understand the issue. He doesn't understand the problem that we've been trying to solve over the 30 years we're here. And so what would you like to see happen, Jeff? Because people are... They, they want pre-K, you know, they want the, I've done stories about some of the parks and recs facilities literally uh, falling down, no playgrounds, no swings for the kids. Something has to pay and, and everybody squeals whenever there's a new tax implemented. What would you like to see done? Somebody got to pay for it. So let me start out by saying I am an advocate for pre-K and for education. And I think that's a good spend. Matter of fact, we need more money in education. And I'm an advocate for the parks. So I'm not against anything he wants to spend the money on. All I'm against is paying for it on the backs of poor people. I'm not saying I wouldn't even have a problem if he taxed me more. But don't tax the most vulnerable people in society. So the question is, how can we pay for it? Well, this is the interesting thing. And politicians do this all the time. They make the story about something that's not real. So since uh, this administration has uh, taken over in City Hall, they have increased taxes somewhere close to a billion dollars over the first four years. The beverage tax generates like $65 million a year. It's a fake argument. He's raised so much taxes. You see it in your property tax. I do. Where my property taxes, a lot of them have doubled or tripled uh, because I have a lot of property in the city with my stores. And so he has the money. It's a fake argument. He has hundreds- And there was a surplus in the city. He had a surplus. Were, yeah. He ended the year with a surplus. So- the money already exists, and there are other ways and other things to tax that you don't need to hurt the poorest, most vulnerable people. That's the part that I just cannot accept. Would a compromise of a lesser, instead of one and a half cent, half cent, you know, would that be a compromise? I don't think so. At this, at this point, um, really, if you think about it, I'm a spokesman for the people, in mm-hmm. a sense. The people voted with their feet. When 25 or 23 percent of my customers left my Haverford store— they don't have an opportunity. They don't have a voice in this. Their voice is leaving. Yeah. And so they spoke with their feet. The tax is unacceptable to them. And I think at this point, the only answer is to repeal it. 
and to come up with some other system to pay for the things that we need. Jeff, this is going to continue, I'm sure. I I don't know if it'll get repealed. I mean, it it made it through the courts. So what are your next steps? What are you going to have to do uh, to sort of insulate um, yourself further and to make sure that your stores stay profitable despite this tax? Well, uh, we've experimented with a lot of things, and uh, honestly, it's been frustrating. Not, Not a lot has worked. And we do have two other unprofitable stores that are bleeding. And uh, I have in my mind decided I'm going to subsidize them and keep on trying, keep on trying to work it out. But that's a risk. The other thing is uh, I'm chairman of uh, PFMA. That's the State Trade Association of Grocers. And so I talk to other grocers about it. And although they're scared to death to be vocal about it because they don't want to be attacked like, like the mayors attack me, but they got the same problem I have. Mm. And I have a great fear that we're going to implode the grocery business, especially in impoverished areas, and leave the people with no grocery stores. And what's interesting is this is not a problem for rich people. Like Whole Foods could open another store in Philadelphia. They could put another big Wawa in a fancy area. They could open up the giant stores the mayor talked about are, are very upscale little stores to serve rich people. This is not a rich people problem. They don't care. It's the poor people that have the problem, and they're the ones that are going to lose these grocery stores. And I think the people, they're the ones I need to be outraged, and I need them to call their council people and tell them that, that it's been two years and we've had it. Repeal this tax now. That's what I need them to do. Yeah. Why don't you hear more grocers like yourselves ringing the alarm? Well, look what the mayor said. He told people where I live. He told them how much I paid for my house. He's attacked me every possible way saying I'm no good. And, uh, you know, I think most people would agree. I've spent my entire career helping people, and that's how he treats someone like that. So uh, when I talk to my peers, they're like, I don't want that. It would be better for me to just go out of business than to put my family through that and have my wife and kids feel unsafe in their neighborhood. You know, they don't, they're afraid. To me, I have worked my whole life for people. And I, I look, I don't like it. I don't like I don't like being attacked like that, but I'm prepared to do it for him. Yeah. And I'm going to keep on doing it. So last call to the folk. If you, you know, if you're if you're a brown shop, right, shopper or, you know, you're against the soda tax, I guess. Reach out. Call your call your council folk. Is that what you got to say, Jeff? Yes. Call them and let them know that elections are coming up and they all got competition and almost all their competition recognize this problem and have said that this has to be repealed. And so they should let them know, repeal this beverage tax, or maybe you won't be there next year. Yeah. So give us your website. For those of you who looking, you you hear this and you say, you know what, I want to support Jeff Brown and Brown Superstores, where can people go to the website to find all your locations? So uh, you can go to ShopRite.com. That has all the uh, ShopRites in Philadelphia. Or you can go to TheFreshGrocer.com. That has all the fresh grocers uh, in the city. And I'm very accessible on Facebook, on a Brown Chef's Market, or Jeffrey Brown. You could go Facebook me directly, and I'm happy to communicate with all your listeners. Wonderful. So I want to say uh, thank you so much to Jeff Brown, President and CEO of Brown Superstores, and good luck to you, man. Thank you. Next up, they're collecting socks of love. One of the least donated items, but one of the most needed items. Who's running their effort and why it helps in healing. We'll be right back. But first, here's this week's Flashpoint on the Tweets with Flashpoint Associate Producer Brianna Bond. Hey, Brianna. Hey, Cherry. That's right. We're taking it to the tweets, getting your opinion on the Flashpoint topics everybody's talking about. 
So this week, we focused on the soda tax. We got 60 votes on this. You guys really care. And the question was, do you think the soda tax is to blame for the closing of Brown's ShopRite in Overbrook? Now, this was our newsmaker this week, Cherry. Yes. Jeff Brown, CEO of Brown ShopRite. Yeah, so the options were, yes, it's too much, as in the soda tax is too much. No other stores are open. Maybe, but we need pre-K, and I'm not sure. The top answer with 45% was, yes, it's too much. Wow, okay. But not too far along at at 42%. That's only three points away. No other stores are open. Wow. Yeah, because we heard from a lot of folks who said they just literally go over the bridge or right outside of Philadelphia and get their soda. Yeah, um, actually, on Facebook, we had a lot of comments. We had a woman named Joy, and she said, I know people who come to Jersey. Yeah, people go over the bridge. They'd rather pay that $5 toll, I think she said, yeah. than pay the extra dollars for soda. Yeah, and Joy also said that brown superstores are needed. So she feels pretty strongly about this. We also had people comment on Twitter, like Jim Jr. He said that there are probably people who, if you're pro-tax, you're just going to say that it didn't impact him. And if you're not, if you're on the other side, you're just going to go ahead with that side of the argument. But, you know, he said he'd be interested in seeing the financials on this one. Yeah, I think everybody wants to see. But, you know, I mean, you know, Jeff is pretty. He said that it's not really the bottom line. It's just that the number of customers that don't come. Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, if they stayed and were willing to pay, he claims he'd still make money. But they're they're leaving. Yeah. I mean, the the sad thing is that only 5% said maybe, but we need pre-K. So I don't know that anyone is thinking of that or maybe they're thinking the soda tax is not the way to get it yeah yeah we did have a surplus this year so in our taxes so we'll see what happens all right that's all for flashpoint on the tweets this week make sure that you subscribe and follow us on twitter at flashpoint show look for the hashtag flashpoint poll thanks It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community. Studies have shown a correlation between substance abuse and homelessness in some cases. Individuals can wind up on the street or in shelters. Footprints to Recovery is an organization working to meet the various needs of people with substance use disorders. And one of the ways they're working is to fill overlooked needs at shelters. Socks of Love is their latest initiative. Here to tell us more about it is the executive director at Footprints to Recovery's Wayne facility, Bridget Vale. Welcome to Flashpoint, Bridget. How you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much. So I try to get to know all the organizations, but I've never heard of Footprints to Recovery. What is the problem that the organization seeks to solve? So we serve substance abusers, individuals struggling with substance use disorders. We have a number of different sites across the nation. So we're treating outpatient 
individuals who are struggling with substance use disorders to help them get back on their feet. And are these all substances? This is all substance use disorders. We do manage some other co-occurring disorders as well, but primarily they are substance use disorders that we're treating. Have you been part of the groups that have seen this uptick because of opioid use? Yes. Unfortunately, I think everybody's really struggling. Everyone knows someone that's struggling to try to get a grip on what, what we're dealing with nationwide with the opioid use disorders. Um, there's a number of other use disorders, unfortunately, as well, that we're trying to manage concurrently. So we don't want to get those lost while we're focusing on managing the opiate use disorders as well. But yeah, everybody's struggling. Everybody's seeing an uptick. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going to make sense so that we can try to do better in, in a field that we're all struggling to try to get a grip on. So what makes Footprints unique? I think what makes us unique is we we really treat the whole person. So we're looking at mind, body, soul. So while we do know that traditional talk therapy is fantastic, we try to build in some other modalities as well. So art therapy, music therapy, movement therapy, we're really trying to reach the individual at a level that makes sense for them. Traditional talk therapy is wonderful, but it doesn't always work for everybody. So we try to build in other modalities that make sense to help engage the individual and meet them where they're at. Yeah, and I understand Socks of Love is part of that. Yes, yeah. So about a year or so ago um, in Chicago, the initiative started. And so what they were noticing is a lot of the homeless population out there was struggling. There's such a large homelessness population out in Chicago. And socks are really one of the least donated items, but one of the most needed items at homeless shelters. Decided that they were going to try to get to some of those basic needs they were seeing in the in the homeless shelters. So they were able to start a drive. Last year, they collected about 1,000 pairs. This year, our goal is 10,000 pairs. So a small initiative that started locally in Chicago has now spread nationwide to all of our sites. Wow. And so who's helping you guys do all this? So it's our community. Really, what we're trying to do is engage our clients, our staff, and our community. So it's important for us to not just be a site treating a specific subset of individuals with certain disorders. It's important for us to be a part of our larger community. And so we are outreaching to ask them to help support the campaign as well. Wonderful. Are the individuals who are at the facilities who who work with you, are they helping with this? They are. So one of the nice parts has been that we've been able to involve them to such a large degree. They were able to be in part of the process in choosing which sites the socks are being donated to. They're a part of the packaging and the delivery. They're a part of writing seasonal greeting cards that are going to go along with the socks and the donations. They've really been involved. And I think what happens oftentimes is individuals that are in early recovery, no one feels or people in those situations don't feel as though they have anything to offer. And so it's really important for us to put them in a position to give back so that they can see what they bring to the table as well, so that they can see that there's so much that they can do to not just better themselves, but better their community as well. Yeah, because I I noticed that, you know, to me, that's what sort of hooked me, because this is a it's another form of treatment in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. to kind of take yourself out of what you're dealing with and focus on someone else. Yes. And I think it's a nice segue to get them back to the working world as well. They're engaged in their community. They're making themselves feel like they have something to give back. So it's a nice entryway back into the working world as well. Wonderful. So you you need new socks, I'm sure. Yes, we are accepting um, new socks. So what we're trying to do is package them. Two pairs of socks at a time are going with the donation. So new socks are are preferred, obviously. Yeah. And so where can people help? Because I know this initiative goes, it was big time around the holidays, Mm -hmm. but it's not over. It's not over, and it's going through January, which is fantastic. So we've already been able to make one donation, and we're going to be making a second donation at the end of the month. So we're accepting donations throughout the month, and they can be dropped off at our local site in Wayne, and that's 992 Old Eagle School Road. 
Suite 904 in Wayne, Pennsylvania, all of the different sites in New Jersey, in Arizona, in Colorado, in Chicago, and Pennsylvania. And y'all can throw them in the snail mail, too. So tell us, Bridget, where can people find out more information about your specific facility? So we have information um, that's available on our website, www.footprintsrecovery.com. And you can also call into the admissions line, which is available all the time as well. Wonderful. Socks of love. Help them. These are going to different shelters to meet a very much overlooked need. So I want to say thank you to Bridget Vale. She's executive director of the Footprints to Recovery's Wayne facility. Thanks so much for being on Flashpoint. No problem. Thanks so much for having us. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast for exclusive content using the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or whatever platform you use to get your podcast. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. Now, if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Abraham Lincoln once said, I walk slowly, but I never walk backward. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.